We're speaking today with Liz Campbell, Director of Wellbeing of Women, a charity that for the past 50 years has worked to improve the health of women and babies through research, education, and training. Liz, 50 years is an impressive anniversary. So before we get into the work Wellbeing of Women is doing today, can you tell us a little bit about your past? Why was the charity founded? What was it set up to do? And who was involved? Well, it's really interesting because, of course, coming into our 50th anniversary here, we have actually spent a little amount of time looking back at our old archives. One of the most exciting things was to find in our cupboard the very first minute book with the minutes of the very first meeting when the charity was formed. And some of the most eminent doctors in the land were there. And the first grant that the charity made was £3,000 to see whether folic acid given to pregnant women uh, would prevent malformation was the term used in those days, any physical malformation. And of course now throughout the world every pregnant woman is given folic acid. And it seems, looking back a bit further at the man whose inspiration it was, um, Will Nixon, to set up well-being of women, and talking to his daughter, who is still a supporter of ours to this day, really women were not particularly well looked after during pregnancy. Um, a lot of women died still in childbirth, in, even in 1964. A lot of babies died. Um, the standard of training for doctors and midwives was not all that it could be. And yet the UK was ahead of many other places because at least it had midwives. The interesting thing, just looking back even a bit further than 1964, um, is in 1928, a charity called the National Birthday Trust Fund was set up by wealthy women of the day who felt that there should be better education for birth attendants and women. That charity um, and its work led to the formation of the first ever midwifery council in the UK. Many of the people on that council became involved and keen to set up Wellbeing of Women, or as it was called then, the National Centre for Childbirth Research, to promote medical research, saying the only answer to permanently preventing women and their babies dying is to do the proper scientific or social research that tells you why this is happening in the first place. And, and that's where the charity was founded, and that is still what we stick to today. Um, about 20 or so years ago, the National Birthday Trust Fund became part of Wellbeing of Women, became united with Wellbeing of Women. And so now we manage both the education, that's where our education and training side comes in, um, as, as well as the pure medical research. Wow, um, what a long and, and rich <laughs> history 
Um, and, and it's fascinating, especially the, the story about folic acid, mm. um, which is, is such a standard part of everyone's obstetrical mm. story today. Um, speaking of today, tell us about some of the projects that Wellbeing of Women uh, is involved with currently. Well, I'm very excited. We are, um, we've just allocated uh, grants, uh, research project grants for this year, just before the summer began. And I was personally very thrilled that we had at last managed to get together sufficient funds in a menopause giving circle to fund a properly founded research project looking at the effects of the menopause. Um, I hope this will be the first of many. There is virtually no work uh, currently having been done or being done in the UK on the health of women around the menopause or, in, or especially afterwards. Um, so, for example, we've no idea why uh, women suffer from a lot of cystitis after the menopause. Um, we've no idea if women should be specially looked after in terms of vitamin supplements or anything else after the menopause. The work has never been done. We have allocated a major grant this summer to a couple of professors who are going to do a very big piece of work aimed at helping women just before and going through the menopause affected by menopausal symptoms the tiredness, the sleeplessness, the hot flashes and so on, um, to maintain performance at work and to feel comfortable at work. We know that there is a spike in women's short-term absence from work at the exact age of the average age of the UK menopause. So this project will come up with an intervention one has already been piloted by the two professors. It will um, be a controlled trial to test the intervention and how well it helps women feel more comfortable at work and more comfortable with their symptoms generally, how much more in control, how empowered. It will also devise and test um, an intervention for the company to look at changing perhaps the ethos and culture of the company but also the uh, way that the company's managers approach the menopause. Uh, the importance of this has come from a previous study that we didn't fund but we facilitated where women said one of the biggest problems they had at work during the menopause was that they felt their company, their manager, knew nothing about it and couldn't care less anyway. So. Um, this will start towards the end of this year. It will be a three-year study. It is the first study of its kind in the UK. Um, it sounds such a basic thing, you would have thought it would have been done ages ago. Uh, but I, I have long felt that the number of women who leave otherwise very promising careers in their late 40s, early 50s, um, is possibly because the menopause hits, you can't perform in the, or you feel you can't perform in the way that you used to, and it undermines your confidence. And I hope this will go a very long way to addressing that. It's really interesting because so many companies' focuses are on young mothers. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And this is. Well, um, 
so many focuses by everybody are, are on the younger women, mm-hmm. but really, um, interesting. these days, you're young at 50. We're talking about women, anything from 45 onwards, and you and I are good examples of women who continue to be competent, useful, and work uh, well beyond um, 50. And, th- and that's going to be the trend in future. We're all going to have to work a lot longer. True. Um, I want to ask you, how would you describe the status of women's health in the UK today? And what do you see as the big issues that well-being of women will be involved with um, going forward? Um, I think the most worrying issue in women's health in the UK today, and, and all the doctors say this to me, all the time is obesity. Women will be disproportionately affected by the obesity epidemic. Um, The fat increases the production of oestrogen. So any cancer um, that is hormone responsive or hormone driven is the rate as people get fatter, the more likely they are to get that cancer. So for example, Um, The fastest rising cancer, the cancer which is growing fastest, is womb cancer. And without doubt, a large part of that is due to the obesity epidemic and the fatter people that there are, um, 40 onwards, and younger, because what they're seeing really scarily is they're seeing womb cancers starting to occur in younger women. In the same way, um, we know that breast cancers can be driven by oestrogen. It's the same argument there. Um, the, I don't know if the, how tight the evidence is, but certainly it will be the same for the other gynecological cancers. But at the other end of things, there are all sorts of problems for women who are obese in pregnancy. And nobody quite knows why, but obese women seem not to have um, the contractions, the strong enough contractions often to deliver the baby naturally. So more obese women having caesareans. Caesareans aren't necessarily the best idea unless you absolutely have to have one. Um, We know that obesity makes the symptoms of polycystic ovarian syndrome worse. We know that often women become infertile when their BMI shoots right up and regain their fertility when that reduces. So really, um, we also say, oh yes, it's bad to be fat oh, because it's bad for your heart and it's just not good and you're not attractive. But for women in particular, um, the whole agenda uh, of health issues that it creates is really frightening. Wow, well then you certainly have some work cut out for you. <laughs> um, moving, moving on from there, um, you know, the, the, the storm that the ALS motor neuron ice bucket challenge has created, besides being a case study of how to grab global attention and raise lots of money, has also highlighted you know, how much philanthropy is having to step in in both the US and the UK to make up for declining public investment 
in research to cure some um, pretty dreadful diseases. What's your thought on this topic? Um, I think certainly we in the UK since the economic downturn in 2008, what we saw first of all was um, a real reduction in big corporate giving. Big corporate giving was behind many programs that were run by UK charities and I don't think those levels of giving have ever or will ever be restored and also the decisions and the choices uh, about who to give them to have become much more risk averse. But I see more than any more than a reduction in the amount of philanthropy, I see much more risk averse philanthropy. Could, could you just um, flesh out what you mean by ri yeah. more risk averse? So um, part of philanthropy, philanthropy is to make you feel good. I mean, anything to do with volunteering and supporting charities, there should always be a benefit for the giver. I say this to all my donors, unless you feel absolutely wonderful and really excited about what you are enabling wellbeing to do, you shouldn't be giving me the money. So I absolutely agree with that. But I think people want to do things which they don't necessarily have to explain to their family and friends. So um, you might say to me, um, or to your daughter or your mother, oh, well, I've decided I'm going to give some money um, to save the children. Well, how could anyone argue this was not a good thing to do, to save the lives of the children that we see on TV? Or you might say, um, I'm going to give money to Cancer Research UK. Now, everyone's heard of Cancer Research. It's a great organisation. It's undeniably doing great things. You don't need to justify or explain it. Everyone will say, what a great person. Or, and I think this is very much behind the sudden surge we've seen in the charity Help for Heroes, you know, I'm going to give money to our returning forces, our soldiers, our airmen who have been injured and their families um, defending our nation. I mean, how no one could argue with any of those things. They are great causes. Um, you don't have to defend them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there is no, somehow there's no personal risk, there's no reputational risk in you being seen to give money to those organisations. If you said, mm, I'm going to give money to a drug and alcohol charity, then I think you run into that. Those people have done it to themselves, they've chosen it. When you get to a medical research charity like Wellbeing of Women, you first of all they have to overcome the women bit. Um, <laughs> and this, the question I'm most often asked is, what about the well-being of men? I can answer that, but not in the time we have today. Um, but you then have to get over the value of medical research and whether a small funder in the arena of medical research, which everyone thinks costs millions, has any part to play. So well-being of women, we have one and a half to two million pounds a year uh, to, to invest. And, and often people say to me, is there any point in that? Well, mm -hmm. without going into it, as I was saying to you earlier, Kate, we have spent £10,000 a year in a partnership project in El Salvador, and we have seen the maternal mortality reduced by 38% in those five years for £10,000 a year. Uh, we will spend 
£190,000 on the menopause project I mentioned earlier, but out of that will come a permanent solution. Uh, we spent a few years ago uh, £15,000-£20,000 on a project to examine the best treatment outcomes um, for some of women who had had uterine rupture and the call, how they were related to cesarean section. And we overturned conventional wisdom, which was not based on evidence. The evidence that we analysed changed the clinical guidelines throughout the world for the treatment of women with a uterine rupture. So, yes, you know, a million times over, you can make a real sustainable difference with a small amount of money. That's that's really interesting, and not something I think everyone um, thinks is the case. Mm. So. so I would very quickly say um, to any philanthropist out there, <laughs> you know, just don't go with the safe option. Think about what you feel very strongly about. Um, find the charities that uh, look in work in that field, and. Give your money to the one that makes you feel most excited. You, you should be having a lot of fun with this. You should be engaged. They should be prepared to engage you and give you a really meaningful part to play. It's a really good point. Um, and I should say at this point that I have been a supporter <laughs> of your organization for a number of years. And in the interest of raising our podcast ratings with some celebrity magic, I want to mention some of the outstanding events your organization has sponsored that I've attended. Everything from tea with Downton Abbey's Julian Fellows at the House of Lords to an evening with leading experts on ovarian cancer, treatment and research, to a conversation with Michael Dobbs of House of Cards fame. <laughs> now, can you tell us about some of the events you have coming up and how our listeners can attend and become more involved with your organization? Wow, what a great opportunity. So um, all of the events we have are on our website, but uh, re we're really excited, and, and he is a favourite of mine, the author Alexander McCall-Smith, who wrote, amongst other things, The First Lady's Detective Agency, is coming to be our guest on the 29th of October, and he'll be interviewed by Eve Pollard, our Vice-Chairman, at Fortnum & Mason. That has to be... Tickets are selling fast. That has to be uh, a must for anybody who is interested in modern novels. Um, we've also got this autumn Fiona Bruce, who reads the news, presents the news, I should say, on BBC, but also Antiques Roadshow and that really interesting programme, Fake or Fortune, where she goes around um, finding out if paintings are really old masters. She's coming to be in conversation with us at a, an event in October, October 13th. And that will be up on our website later this week, if not already. And I'm sure that uh, that will be a really fascinating evening, getting behind the face of the perfect face that we see on TV. We also have coming up uh, a, a research evening looking at cancer. Um, we have our Christmas fair at the beginning of December, which is 
absolutely the place for one-stop Christmas shopping. Where is it? It's at Draper's Hall in the City of London. Oh, that's fun. Yes, and Draper's Hall is probably one of the most beautiful of the livery halls. Yeah. So if you've never been in, it's worth coming to the fair to see the hall. You'll never leave with an empty shopping bag. <laughs> um, we have some shopping evenings with LMS, the makeup firm. Not many people realise Alamis is totally UK. Everything is made in the UK. Um, that's one of the reasons we like to work with them. Mm -hmm. They don't waste money on a lot of PR. They've given the money to us instead to support a project in, in testing better radiotherapy treatment hmm. for young women with cervical cancer. So, Impressive. Yes, and great people. So we have a shopping evening at LMS where you can try the products and try some of their treatments, which is great fun. Um, and if anybody's really interested, I am always happy to take them to meet some of our researchers at the hospitals in London where we fund work. Um, perhaps nothing brings it home better than some fantastically excited and enthusiastic young doctor whose life you have changed. Um, with again a comparatively modest donation um, but will make all the difference uh, to that young person's life aside from the work that they're doing. We expect to have some really big announcements to make about premature birth next year based on the work of, of one of our youngsters and, and she will undoubtedly go on and change the world for all sorts of women who would otherwise have had babies born too soon and dying. Um, it, it's great. Uh, as you can see, I could talk forever and uh, I would be really pleased if anyone's interested, if they wanted to get in touch, to talk to them about what they would like to know more about. Well, uh, Liz Campbell of Wellbeing of Women, that sounds fabulous. Um, we've today learned a lot. <laughs> about not only your organization, but the status of women's health, um, some exciting ways to make um, a relatively small amount of money do some very large and important things. Uh, and I want to thank you for being on Tanager Talk. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.